Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Thank you for the opportunity to speak this morning. Thank you. Uh, like, it may come as a surprise to you, but I, uh, I really, I find this stuff really fascinating. I, I, I love to study, and I, more than I do to speak, uh, I would much prefer to write. But uh, I'll do my best this morning. I'll try. I don't have enough room here. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You may be. <laughs> um, now, we're in, uh, as uh, Pastor Steve mentioned, <laughs> we're in Genesis uh, chapter 29 to 31, and there is a lot of material to cover. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open to Genesis chapter 29. Uh, Dave, if you want, yeah, if you want to throw that first slide up there, um, let's let's do a little bit of review of how we got here. Okay, so we'll we'll start with Abraham uh, or Abram, who was I don't have a laser pointer or anything here, but um, but down down in here, you can see Babylonia, right? Oh, thank you, Dave. Ur is right here. Ur. Ur of the Chaldeans, where God first spoke to Abram, and uh, he called to Abram, and he told him to leave his country and his family and go to a land that I will show you. So what Abram did, Abram, his father Terah, and his brother Nahor, uh, and his nephew Lot uh, went. Uh, Lot's father Haran had previously passed away. But those four guys traveled all the way up. This would have been the natural trade route, by the way. They traveled all the way up the Euphrates River, all the way up to, all the way, I can't reach it, but it's all the way up the top there, Haran, H-A-R-R-N, A-N, sorry. Uh, They traveled that far, and then they stopped, okay, and they settled there. Uh, Soon after that, Abram's father, Terah, died, and God appeared to Abram again and told him to travel uh, to a land that he will show him. So he left Haran, and he came all the way down here to the land of Canaan, okay? Came all the way down to, to Canaan, to the area south of Damascus there, and he settled there. Well, eventually, he was all on his own, uh, and God appeared to him, and pronounced the, uh, uh, the Abrahamic blessings on him. And, um, of course, we heard about how um, uh, his son Isaac was born, how uh, Isaac sent uh, or, or was, um, uh, had two sons, Esau and Jacob, and uh, how Jacob... Uh, tricked Esau out of his birthright and um, how he tricked Isaac into giving him the blessing, his, the, the blessing of the firstborn. Okay, so that's, uh, 
Jacob feared for his life. His mother, Rebecca, feared that Esau might take some vengeance on him. So she had a plan devised to send uh, Jacob away to protect him. So that's where we are this morning. We, uh, Jacob traveled from, from uh, this area south of Damascus here, back up uh, a, little, a little ways north, and he spent the first night in a place called Bethel, where the Lord met him. Okay, he had the vision. Everybody, know, uh, most people would recognize uh, Jacob's ladder and his vision, uh, uh, a ladder extending into heaven. God was at the top, and there was angels ascending and descending on the, on the ladder or the stairway uh, to heaven. And so, Jacob's journey was from uh, to Canaan all the way back up to Haran, and it was, as Pastor Steve noted last week, a journey about the distance from economy to New Hampshire, which is about 700 kilometers. How far? Is Vicki here this morning? It's closer to 1,000. Yeah, okay. That's a long way to walk. Yeah, well, it probably took Jacob a little longer than that. Um, so that's a long way. That's where, that's where we find Jacob this morning at the, at the beginning of chapter 29, and we, we have to move really quickly. Uh, so I apologize in advance, um, but, but we really do. So I'm reading from the NIV, uh, chapter 29, verse 1. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples, or the orientals. This would have been uh, near the beginning of the second millennium before uh, Jesus was born. Uh, and it would have been the, uh, uh, roughly around the same time as the, the uh, kingdom, or I don't know if you really want to call it that, but the time of Hammurabi. Most people are familiar with Hammurabi, uh, who come up with a system, systematic code of, of law and ethics. Um, so he came to the, to the land of the eastern peoples, and there he saw a well, which was uh, actually just a cistern in a field, um, at, with a big rock covering it, uh, with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. And the, and the stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all of, all of the flocks were gathered, there the shepherds would roll um, the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over, over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherd, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. Um, and now Haran, um, Haran, you might have noticed, was in between two tributaries of the Euphrates River, and it would have been very fertile land, great for uh, pasturing sheep or any kind of other cattle or, or animals you had. And they said, we're from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. And maybe you can envision them answering Jacob, rolling their eyes. Okay, yeah, we know Laban, yeah. Everybody probably did. 
Um, yes, we know him, they, they, they answered. Then Jacob said, is he well, or literally, is there peace with him? Yes, he is, they said, and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water your sheep and take them back, back to pasture. Okay, Jacob was, Jacob was very task-oriented. He was, he was a busy guy. He, his, you can see in everything that he did, he was active. And, and so he thought maybe that everybody else should be too. Look, he, he said, look, guys, it's not time to rest yet. It's not time to gather the sheep. It's not the end of the day. Get the sheep watered and take them back to pasture. They said, uh, we can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. And while he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Uh, now, it's maybe possible that Laban didn't have any older sons, uh, and that Leah and Rachel were the, uh, the, the oldest daughter, the oldest of his family, and maybe that they did, the sons, Laban's sons didn't come along until after this. But in any case, uh, Rachel was, was leading Laban's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled away the stone from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative and of, of her father and, of, uh, and the son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father, man, how things have changed. Eh? I mean, you picture, picture a love story, any love story that you've seen, or imagined, or any books you've read, uh, you can you can see they all follow this this uh, path, don't don't they? The guy sees the girl, he kisses her, he weeps loudly, and she runs away. Uh, I mean, any of you guys out there that are looking for a girlfriend or anything, you might want to try this. Just walk up to a girl, kiss her, and weep loudly, and see what happens. If she runs away. Things are going to be great. Uh, so uh, Rachel went, uh, uh, she ran and told her father about uh, Jacob. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, her sister, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. He recognized uh, who Jacob was. He took him on his word. He believed well, there was no reason to doubt him, really. Um, and after uh, Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are my relative, uh, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So uh, Laban sees an opportunity. He's going to take this opportunity, uh, you know, <laughs> they haven't been together all that long, uh, so, you know, Jacob was a little unaware of what was about to take place, but uh, he's, he's going to uh, 
him and Laban are going to make a, a deal here. They're going to make a contract together. And uh, so uh, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. That pro probably means most of the commentators agree that the, the, there weren't anything wrong with her eyes. It's just that they weren't dark and bright like the rest of the women or the, or the most desirable women of the time. Uh, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Man, there weren't many wages better than that back then, I guess. Uh, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. You can just see the wheels turning in Laban's mind. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Here we have a picture of Christ's love for the church. Uh, it involves sacrifice. It involves uh, hardship. It involves the deepest love you can imagine. But it, it's unfortunate that it, in, in, our, in our time, love is so misunderstood. And here's a great mystery. Because we were created in the image of God. And so much of what that means is wrapped up in our ability to love and our desire to be loved and the drive to be loved. But it's such a great misfortune that love is so misunderstood. I mean, I know, I know I'm dating myself, but let's go back to the 60s, to the Beatles, okay? Um, the, the philosophy of the 60s was make love, not war. And, and we, the Beatles wrote a song called All You Need Is Love. And here, here's, here's the album, the, the album cover of the, the, the album that the, that song is on. Um, Baby, You're a Rich Man. Now, uh, let, me, let me read you a few of the lyrics here from the song. Yeah, most, like, who doesn't, who doesn't know the song, right? Um, uh, love, 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 you know. <laughs> There's nothing you can do that can't be done. There's nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do, but you can learn to be you in time. It's easy. All you need is love. 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 Love. Love is all you need. Right? Okay, you, all, you get the point. Uh, it goes on from there, and it doesn't really get any better. Um, so that clears a lot. That clears a lot of things up, right? I mean, who wouldn't know what love is just by that song, right? I mean, there it is. It's great. Uh, 
Um, so, um, you know, this album was probably good for one thing. Um, it was probably the forerunner of what has now become known as Movember, uh, which is really, this is really good fundraiser. Um, but what is love? Is love a feeling or is it an emotion? Uh, if my, what if my emotions can be changed? What if my feelings change? What if I, what if I have a change of heart? What happens to love then? What if my heart gets, gets broken? <laughs> right? What's love got to do with it? <laughs> What's love but a secondhand emotion? Right? You all know Tina Turner, right? Okay. What's love? What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Isn't love great? Uh I mean, I mean, probably if you if you melt away if you like if you strip away the let me use an onion for example if you strip away all the layers of the onion to get right down to right down to uh, the the right down to the core of of most of our dysfunction as a society and as individuals. Is all it probably has something to do with um, with our desire to be loved and how somebody squeezed the life right out of that. I mean, really, it's it's possible, isn't it? Isn't it possible? Well, what is love? If you turn to First Corinthians thirteen, everybody, most people know. It's the love chapter, right? First Corinthians, where's First Corinthians? I suppose I could read it off the screen. First Corinthians 13, uh, we'll start in verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. Man, someone should read this to, you know, some of the, uh, some of the music artists. Uh, it is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Maybe include the, uh, the composers and, and movie writers, too. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. If you can say one thing about love, one definitive thing about love, true love, the kind of love that we all want, the kind of love that we're all seeking, the kind of love that we have this drive toward, it's that love never fails. Isn't that what we want from love? A love that never fails? Don't we want that? I think we do. So John uh, 4, verse 8 says, God is love. He, did, you th did you think in 1 Corinthians Paul was writing about, about hu a human emotion? Did you think he was writing about the kind of love that we, that we exhibit? This is the love that God has 
for us. This is the God. This is the love. This is what God is. This is love is patient. Love is kind. God is love. And you can replace the the word love in 1 Corinthians 13 with with God. God is love. God is kind. He does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil. He always protects. He always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. Isn't that great? That's truly amazing. But love is still one of the most misunderstood things of our our time. Billy Graham, in his book, Peace with God, I'm just going to read you an excerpt from it here. He says, We aren't always sure ourselves what we mean when we use the term love. That word has become one of the most widely misused words in our language. And he says, it's like trying to explain the sweep and majesty and awe-inspiring grandeur of the ocean to a person who has never seen a body of water larger than a mud puddle. How can such a person, person envision the boundless sea? How can such a person looking into a shallow, murky pool fathom the bottomless depths, the mysterious life, the surging power, the ceaseless roll, the terrible ruthlessness of an ocean storm or the all-surpassing beauty of ocean calm? How could anyone who had looked only into a mud puddle know that know what you were talking about? What word could you use to give a convincing picture of the mighty sea? How could you make him believe that such a wonder really exists? We use the word love to describe the basest as well as the most exalted of human relationships. We say we love to travel. We love to eat chocolate cake. We love our new car or the pattern of wallpaper in our home. Why we even say we love our neighbors, but most of us can't do much more than that. Just say it and let it go at that. No wonder we don't have a very clear idea of what the Bible means when it says God is love. It was love that sent Jesus to the cross. Never question God's great love, for it is, uncha- it is as unchangeable a part of God as his holiness. No matter how black our sins, God loves us. Were it not for the love of God, none of us would ever have a chance in the future, in a future life. But God is love, and his love for us is everlasting. But God commends his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of majesty. What was the joy set before him? Well, if, if we pay attention to context, we might think that it was 
The joy set before him was to sit down at the right hand of the Father, but Jesus could have had that without even leaving heaven. He could have had that at any time. He could have had that at any point up to, up to the point of dying on the cross. But he didn't. He chose to bear the cross, scorning its shame for the joy that was set before him. And the joy, if you read on there in Hebrews chapter 12, is that we would share in his holiness. We would share in his holiness. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians 5, 25. The cost of love, this great sacrifice that God had paid with, for you and for me with his very life. He gave himself up for her. That's the church he's speaking of in Ephesians. Romans 5.8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is, that is the sweep of the majesty, the awe-inspiring grandeur of the ocean of God's love. While we were yet sinners, think of it, while we were as far away from God as we could get, God did everything that he could. While we were at our worst, God showed us his very best. And Jesus went to the cross for us. That is what love is. Do you know what love is? Do you know what love is? Do you understand the true cost of God's love? Have you seen the sweep and, of the majesty the awe-inspiring grandeur of the ocean of God's love? Or are you still staring into that mud puddle, wondering if love is still something worth hoping for? Never doubt God's love. Never underestimate it. Never count it out. Jesus Christ came in the flesh so that you could see the proof of true love, that proof was the cross he bore for you and me. Let's get our eyes off the mud puddle. Let's get ready to experience the wave after wave in the ocean of God's love and forgiveness. Put your faith in Christ today and you'll be able to say, I found a love worth living for. And that's not the end of our passage. Let's, let's move on. Let's read on uh, because there are some, some great things uh, for us to note. My Bible's falling apart here. I hope it lasts the morning. I hope I last the morning. Not much left to it. Okay. read on from uh, chapter 29. <clears throat> uh, we're in uh, verse 21. Jacob said, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave 
her to Jacob. Jacob lay with her, and Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? <laughs> it's kind of funny for Jacob to be asking that. Why have you deceived me? Do you think Jacob knew anything about deception? Now the shoe's on the other foot. It's interesting to note that he didn't put up quite uh, a lot of fuss after Laban replied, uh, it's not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, which means finish out the feast. Celebrate your, your marriage to Leah. Uh, celebrate, finish out your, the, the bridal feast uh, for this week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. <laughs> yeah. Laban hadn't been sleeping. Um, he was doing some scheming of his own. And Jacob did so. He finished out the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to be to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Seems to happen a lot, eh? Leah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. It's interesting to note that in all of this, Leah's faith came out, okay? It was, it was because she, recognized, she realized it was because of what the Lord was doing in her life. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Jacob knew that it was God who was in control. Then she said, here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that uh, she can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. Now, Dave, if you'll throw that map back up here. Again, you notice that at the top, the Hurrians there. The Hurrians was uh, the culture who who dominated this area of the middle uh, of the near east at the time and uh, in 1940 there were some texts discovered who sh and shed light on uh, the the customs and and the culture um, and uh, we find out that it was the custom 
when, uh, when a girl got married, for her, for her father to give a maidservant as well, in case, in case the event occurred that she did not bear any children, that through the, through the maidservant, uh, she could raise a family. Interesting. It's fascinating. Um, uh, as as I was studying, I, I, there were a whole uh, a bunch of these interest, interesting uh, things that I was learning, and I was thinking, man, it'd be so great to to do some research on that, but I didn't have any time. Sorry. Um, so here's my here's my maid servant. Uh, go in her, go into her, and have children with her, so I can build a family. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Now, in case you, in case you think that this is, was all what the, God's plan and, and how God normally does things, um, you, know, you don't have to read on very, very far before you learn how messed up um, the family gets. Um, the, I don't. I don't think you can. You can make up your own mind about how how God took this and 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 worked out His will in it. Uh, but uh, uh, Bilhah uh, bore a son, and Rachel said, "God has vindicated me and listened to my plea and given me a son," and she named him Dan. Uh, Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, Now uh, I, have, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. And Leda saw that she had stopped having children. She took her maidservant Zilpah. She wasn't going to fall behind. She gave, him, uh, gave her to Jacob. And... Uh, Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, what a good fortune, so she named him Gad. Um, and the rest of the chapter is, is filled w- with uh, the children. Uh, um, she, Zilpah had another son. Uh, Leah said, now I'm happy, and they, women will call me happy, so she named him Asher. And... Uh, uh, So move down with me to um, uh, verse 17. God listened to Leah. This was after the exchange of the mandrakes, which is interesting again. Uh, She became pregnant, bore Jacob a fifth son, and she said, God has rewarded me uh, for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Uh, Leah conceived again, bore a sixth son, and she said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Uh, sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah, uh, which, by the way, is, is the, is the um, feminine form of the name Dan, I found out. Interesting. Still no time to grab a trail. Uh, then God remembered Rachel. He remembered Rachel. 
God is not a child with a magnifying glass. I mean, you all know what I mean by that, don't you? God does not, you know, get the ant down there and focus the sun's light on that ant with the magnifying glass so that it cooks them, okay? God is not vindictive. Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians? God, God is, is love. And God loves Rachel too. And God remembered Rachel and listened to her and opened her womb and she became pregnant, gave birth to a son. And she said, God has taken away my disgrace. And she named him Joseph. And she said, may the Lord add to me another son. So after Jacob was born, it's evident that uh, Jacob's, uh, did I just say Jacob? Okay, after Joseph was born, uh, Jacob's contract with Laban was up. It was, it was due for renewal or not. Uh, so Jacob said to Laban, give me my wives and, and my children, send me back so I can return to my homeland. Uh, I'll be on my way. Uh, you know how much work I've done for you. And Laban said, not so fast. Just a minute. I've seen that the Lord has blessed me because, uh, because of you. And he added, name your wages. <laughs> this is literally, literally now he's saying, distinctly specify your wages. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's a chance that Jacob was not going to do that. Okay? He's been tricked once. Uh, name your wages. Uh, so Jacob said, don't give me anything. <laughs> you can see Laban, uh-huh, okay. This is this is great. Uh, don't give me anything in verse 31, he says. Uh, Jacob replied, but if you do this one thing, I will go on tending your, your flocks. And so he came up with this brilliant plan. Uh, this sheep, I gotta, I gotta move. Uh, sheep, sheep were white. Goats were either brown or black, okay? There's no, you know, there weren't very many uh, streaked or spotted or, or any, many different kinds of goats and sheep. Uh, so Jacob said, you know, go through your flocks and take out all these, all the sheep that are, that are, are dark colored, all the, all the lambs, the, the goats that are streaked and spotted, and they'll be my they'll, they'll be my hire. And uh, Laban's greed made sure that he would accept this agreement. Uh, so Jacob separated the sheep and he put them with his sons and they tended them. And uh, when uh, when it came time for them to mate, uh, Jacob stripped the bark off some poplar. Uh, branches, poplar, almond, and plane trees. I, I know it's hard, hard to keep up, isn't it, Dave? Um, uh, and, he, and he put them in front of the goats in the water uh, and the sheep uh, during mating, mating season. Now, there's everything I've read says there's no scientific evidence to su support uh, that this actually, uh, actually, actually had anything to do with how 
how the offspring were when they were born. Okay? Although, it is interesting to note that sheep are very easily influenced by what they see, right? They are. It's, it's true. Take my word for it. Um, so, Jacob became very wealthy. Okay? Um, verse 43 says, In this way the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and manservants and maidservants and camels and donkeys. And he was busy trading and working, he was working, working deals and he was heavily involved in commerce. Chapter 31, uh, Jacob noticed that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken away uh, all of our father's great wealth. Uh, and, they're added, and Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him had changed. Um, so Jacob calls in his wives and he says, You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah, Leah and Rachel knew that wasn't true. Uh, but they went along with him. And uh, he said, I've seen, this is in verse 12, I've seen that all Laban, uh, sorry, he, Jacob said to his wives, uh, it's time to leave. Um, and once I had a vision uh, while I was out in the field with your father's sheep, uh, and God appeared to me. And verse 12 says, uh, look up. And see that all the male goats are mating with the flocks are streaked, speckled, and spotted. For I have seen all that Label, Laban has been doing to you. <laughs> God sees all that Laban has been doing to you. Remember, remember the covenant that God made with Abraham? Okay, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. You know, sometimes you might read through the story of Jacob and just shake your head and say, God, how can, how can you use a guy like Jacob? Why is, why is this story here? What, what, are you, what are you doing? But because of God's promise, it's because of God's promise that he, he blessed Jacob. He chose to bless him. He chose him and he blessed him. So uh, they, they decide to leave and they... They do it uh, <clears throat> during a time when Laban's away uh, shearing the sheep, and uh, they take off. They leave, they leave the, you know, on the map, they head south, right? They're, they're taking off. They're, they put, a, uh, put everybody on camels, and they're traveling as fast as they can to get away from Laban. Uh, and we, ha we read this, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Now, there's a number of reasons why you might speculate that she might do that. Maybe to keep her father from uh, inquiring of them to see which way they went. Uh, maybe it was that she didn't want her father uh, worshipping them anymore. Uh, Howard Voss says in his, in his commentary that the, the household gods were, were um, like uh, they were proof of a person's right and claim to the estate. So basically, they were the birthright. They were the birthright, the family birthright. So you can see that Rachel may have been thinking she's going to get her own birthright. She's going to get her 
she's going to get what's rightfully hers the way that Jacob had done in his family. So by deception and treachery, she took them. Okay? So uh, Laban finds out that they're gone, and uh, he follows them. He he catches them after 10 days. And uh, Jacob made it all the way down to the hill country of Gilead, okay, which is in northern, northern Canaan. And uh, that's where uh, Laban catches him. And when he, when he gets, finally gets up to Jacob, he says in verse 26, what have you done? You've deceived me. Wow. Yeah. Uh, like, like, that wasn't a normal thing to do. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? But God has already met him. God has already met Laban, and he said, Laban, I don't want you to harm Jacob. I don't, don't want you to do anything to him. So when he catches up to him, and uh, he says, you've deceived me. But uh, why did you steal my gods? And so Jacob says, we didn't take anything. Uh, search for yourself. Um, and so Laban does, and, and he searches everybody's tent, and uh, goes into Rachel's tent, and, and Rachel said, sorry, uh, father, I can't get up. I'm, you know, I'm having my monthly time, and, and I can't get up. And so it, it was the Oriental custom that all women who were uh, experiencing that time of the month uh, were unclean, and so was everything she touched. So uh, that ensured that he wouldn't make her get up or he wouldn't touch her stuff. Um, and he's, uh, verse 38, Jacob said, I've been with you for 20 years now, and I've not harmed you in any way. Uh, so they, Laban answered Jacob in verse 43, the women are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, all you see is mine. And according to the Hurrian custom of the time, that was true. All of that was belonged to the patriarch of the family. And, and he could have taken it if it weren't for the warning of God to Laban. Don't, don't harm Jacob. So they took a stone and they set it up and they, they made an agreement together. They had a feast. They... Uh, they made a covenant with each other. And they said, this heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness so that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and you will not go past this heap and pillar to harm me. May the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. And possibly Laban had in mind uh, anticipating that Jacob someday would show up at his place with his household gods and say, look, I have proof. The estate is mine. It's, it's mine. It belongs to me. And so they made this agreement. It's quite possible that, the, that he was thinking that. And so they made this agreement, and they agreed, and they, and they parted. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them, and then he left and returned home. <clears throat> 
But when I was first given this passage to preach on, I thought, man, how am I going to make a message <laughs> out of that? I mean, it's not, not really all that much there, although you can see God's hand in everything that happened to Jacob. I thought that the natural, the natural division of, the, uh, of, of Genesis here would have been from Bethel, where Jacob is alone. Okay, Jacob's alone in Bethel. He's got nothing. To the time when he, he's preparing to meet his brother Esau, which happens after, after this in, ver, in chapter 32. And I'm not going to steal anybody's thunder because Pastor Steve's going to be away <laughs> next, next Sunday. And, and Doug Lake's going to be here speaking. And uh, so he doesn't know I'm going to be saying any of this unless he what, listens to the audio message. I don't know. But, but at Bethel, Jacob's alone. And when he sends his wife and his family and all that he owns across the river because he hears that Esau is coming to meet him, he's alone. So we have Jacob alone at Bethel and Jacob alone by the river ready to enter Canaan again. And it's those, during those two times that Jacob is vulnerable. He's got nothing. He's... Uh, He's, he's wondering, you know, if he's ever going to see anything, any of his possessions again. He counted them all gone. You know, he didn't know if Esau was going to, you know, uh, take them as part of uh, retribution for what he did to him. But he's alone. Just like he had been in Bethel. And it was during these times that God met with him. On both occasions, Jacob, uh, all that Jacob held dear and sacred was gone, truly gone, without the promise of ever seeing it again. At Bethel, his family, he had left his family, all he, he had known. And here at the, at the riverside, he had sent all his possessions, all of his family across ahead of him to meet Esau was gone and there was no promise only hope all of his schemes came to nothing none of his planning trickery deceiving stealing had given him any sense of hope of security station or standing he was left once again standing alone staring into the same dark murky mud puddle which dominated his prospects 20 years earlier. What he needed was a revelation of the sweep of the majesty of the overwhelming grandeur of the ocean of God's love. And that night, he would feel the full force of it as God met him and wrestled away from him the last remnant of his strength And as Jacob lay grasping, holding on to God after they wrestled together, pleading for a blessing, God changed his uncertain prospect into a blessing, hope, and promise. As you look ahead, what are your prospects? 
know what it's like to look into the dark, murky puddle and wonder if there's a love, if there's a love for you. Have you experienced the, the might and the overwhelming grandeur of the love of God? sent Jesus to the cross for you and for me. What else could he give? What else, how else could he prove his love for us? When God, or when we showed our worst, God showed us his best. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you haven't experienced his love, in your life yet. Why not place your faith in Christ and you'll find a love, finally find a love that's worth living for. Why don't you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, even though there are, t there are times when we don't think there's, there's anything or much you can say to us, Lord, if... if if we empty ourselves, if we come before you with nothing in our hands, nothing to offer, not trusting in our, in our prospects, not trusting in our own ability to make plans, not trusting in anything other than your love for us, we know that you can show us uh, how good you are. We know we can experience the love that with which you want to love us. And so, Lord, as we come to you this morning, uh, we, we do it uh, with, all of our, with all of our plans and all of our... Uh, all of the things that we might uh, otherwise trust in all of that behind us, Lord, and just looking to you. We trust you that you will show us your love, that you will show us how great your plans are for us, how you have plans to bless us, not to harm us. Lord, uh, we're, we're willing this morning to, uh, to place our lives in your hands. We're willing to let you love us. We pray that you would show us how you want to love us, and how you have already given us so much in Jesus. And you've already won the conflict, the, the, um, the right to bring us to yourself. And Lord, just open our hearts so that we, can, we might experience the, the majesty and the overwhelming grandeur of the ocean of your love. Let it flow over us and wash us and allow us to rejoice in the love that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, uh, for being with us today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for everything that you've given to us. We pray that you'd continue to allow us to enjoy your presence today.
throughout the remainder of it and to bless our week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.